Welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast, a podcast devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. Now join our host for today's episode and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Contending for the Word podcast. My name is Dave, and I am one of the co-hosts today. Uh, with me, joining me today is our friend and sister in Christ, Don Hill, who is a contributor to this show. So, Don, uh, welcome to the Contending for the Word team. It's great to have you and Doreen uh, with us, and uh, there's going to be some more as well. So, welcome. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here, as always. <laughs> so, I know that today we're going to be talking about a recent interview that was done on another YouTube channel uh, by Remnant Radio, those that may or may not be familiar with them. And uh, they actually recently interviewed Alexander Pagani. So I know that we had uh, looked at this interview and noted some things in there and wanted to talk about them, right? Right, right. Yeah. So uh, I, for those that may not be familiar with Alexander Pagani, I'll just fill you in a little bit on who Alexander is. When you actually go on his ministry site, it talks a little bit about him and his wife. And Alexander Pagani is the founder of Amazing Church. It was formerly called He is Risen Tabernacle. That's located in the Bronx in New York. And he considers himself an apostle. He considers himself a five-fold Bible teacher with keen insight into the realm of the demonic, generational curses, and deliverance. And he espouses to be an internationally sought-after conference speaker. He takes uncompromising approach to the scriptures and has been involved in thousands of deliverance sessions, according to his website. And he's also appeared on numerous um, TV shows, on networks. And so I wanted to just share a little bit of that about him so you have an idea. Uh, because in his interview, he does make it clear at the beginning, or they, the Remnant Radio guys, um, Josh Lewis and Michael Roundtree, they take note that he goes by being called an apostle. Um and so he does believe in the fivefold. So at the beginning of this interview between Joshua Lewis, Michael Roundtree and Alexander Pagani, they start out with some uh, some preliminaries and some things that we'll summarize. And then we're going to get into the meat of what we're talking about. So the, the men at the beginning uh, make a point of saying if they had demons, they would call Alexander. And they do mention about him being called an apostle. Um, there, he says that um, as far as his personal testimony, he says that Jesus Christ came into his prison cell and spoke to him and that he didn't know the Bible, uh, but that he heard the devil speak to him and Jesus spoke once. So he's relaying that when he was in prison, he had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ, that Jesus physically came into his cell. And he also talks about that Jesus, uh, during one of the, uh, the specific encounter with him in prison, that Jesus merged with his body. He felt rivers of living water, which is referencing John 7. And um, he talks about the washing of regeneration, that he fell out in the spirit. He was born again at that point. He fell asleep and he got up. And he remembered what he went through uh, the previous day within prison. And he felt called to the apostolic ministry while he was in prison. And so he says that he began to minister to other men in the prison, that um, that he began, uh, there were demons in the prison that were being cast out, um, and that he went to Bible college and seminary. Um, and so uh, he begins to talk about his theological viewpoint about 11, 
near 12 minutes into the interview, the discussion, and his theological viewpoint, just so you have an understanding of where he's coming from, uh, he leans towards non-denominational. Um, he says he is not NAR. He believes that NAR it has a lot of nonsense in it, uh, though he considers himself an apostle. And I don't know what his thoughts are about him having governing authority, but uh, if he believes he has governing authority, then he falls within the realm of New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, he doesn't consider himself Pentecostal. He is a fivefold kingdom believer, um, and the modern-day prophet and apostle doesn't make him NAR is what he says. Um, he actually says he calls out NAR. He also makes reference uh, in a negative connotation of the word of faith, uh, which I have made arguments in favor that they actually um, are – supporting a word of faith by their teaching of deliverance ministry and the tripart being at any rate um, he doesn't define him uh, he doesn't know how to define himself except to say fivefold in scripture and that he's a continuationist he used to be a cessationist uh, but he's now a continuationist um, about 14 minutes into the interview they are uh, talking about getting specific target for deliverance prayers and that he mentions about the early on in his ministry that Christianity wasn't working for him in the way that it uh, traditionally was, and um, that he also was affiliated with some of the hip hop culture during that time. And so he wanted to merge hip hop with Christianity, and he heard the word upgrade. Now, what I take from him saying that is that he heard the Lord tell him the word upgrade, as you'll hear a lot in these types of movements that people will say that God spoke to them, gave them a specific word. And so when he heard the word upgrade, he began to read deliverance movie. Uh, he began to read deliverance books by um, ministers in the nineties. As he goes on, he found that generalized prayers were not helpful. Um, he said that prayers can become incantations and, uh, he wanted to get rid of the liturgical prayers because they just weren't helping. And he was coming across young men uh, in the church that were dealing with uh, sexual sin or pornography. They were dealing with those types of things, and he wasn't able to help people. So he upgraded his approach, and the church needs to be evolving as well. And his reason behind this when he when he talks about this whole upgrade is he said that when the body of Christ gets an upgrade, that Satan upgrades and vice versa. When Satan upgrades the church needs to upgrade. So he says we need to we, he says that we need to adjust our methods when we're dealing with demons. And he also says that weapon the weaponry was outdated. So there needs to be an updating to the weaponry. Um, he goes on to talk about the need to get delivered uh, from the new or the secret when people are making a big deal about that. So he gets a little irritated when people are drawing attention to the fact that he's mentioning something about new, which um, I actually have a copy of his book that he talks about this. This was written in 2018. This was published uh, by Charisma House. And so he mentions in there about how he was getting new revelations and the Holy Spirit was speaking to him about these new revelations. So there are people that are getting upset about that in this uh, live broadcast, and he's making note of that they need to get delivered from him using that term um, that Jesus told us we would know the secrets of the kingdom. And um, he just go goes on to expound on that about, you know, that we need to not be boxed in, if you will, to that belief system. And uh, at the same time, when he talks about his theological beliefs, he um, mentions the five solas, uh, that they never change, but the methods change, um, and that we need to go to the next strategy 
and not to be dismissive about tactical warfare. Um, so I wanted to go on there. I mean, there's more that we can say about that. Um, he does mention about, again, about five solas and that he believes in the five solas. Um, but I wanted to get into about 28 minutes in. Uh, we won't play this clip, but he starts talking about new methods um, and that there's uh, to do a better way. And he references Paul when he does that. He says that we, we needed a better way. Paul said that there's a better way to do things. And when I was listening to him say that, I immediately I thought, OK, he's referencing Paul. Where is that in Scripture? And immediately I was able to find it, it was First Corinthians um, chapter 12 verse 31. So when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, this is when Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking to the Corinthians. He's addressing the issues that they have regarding spiritual gifts and the operation of them within the church. And after Paul is asking them these different questions, which have an answer to them as no, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all ha have this certain gift? No. He says to them, um, desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then in first Corinthians 13, he goes on to talk about love. This is how they're to operate in love. This is the, this is greater than the spiritual gifts. So I don't know if that's the verse that he's referencing, but that's the only verse that I could come up with that he's alluding to is that he's borrowing that verse and saying, well, deliverance ministry we need a better way paul said we need a better way we're, this is the better way that we found in the modern deliverance movement so we're just going to borrow this verse that has nothing to do with deliverance ministry <laughs> and and apply it in this way so um i did want to mention that because i think that that is an important example as i've said other times whenever anybody um, takes a verse and they're referencing a verse or alluding to a verse, you need to go and see if that's what how the verse is applied um, and if that's the understanding of it that's been throughout church history uh, and to see if, if that uh, matches up. So I wanted to mention that, but we're going to dive in. Um, Dave and I have gone through and, and watched this interview. And so um, we wanted to start with um, this first clip. It's about 31 minutes in. And he's going to be talking about um, the the tactics of casting out demons that you've applied in casting demons out. Well, it depends on what kind of deliverance session you're referring to. Nothing comes to my mind here because I feel like we're still trying to press in that one particular view. Nothing specifically comes into my mind because. People are just getting delivered consistently um, when we con when we conduct deliverance. You know, what I think I'm, I, I feel like for the sake of conscience of people listening, guys, when we conduct deliverance, we're preaching Christ crucified. I know you think that that's not, we're not what we're not doing because there's a lot of deliverance ministries that are more experiential. Please don't throw us into that same category because we preach the sufficiency of Christ alone by faith alone, repentance, uh, death, burial and resurrection as the first means to even get delivered. So I just kind of want to throw that in there because I feel like we're still lingering in that. And then we haven't kind of like moved on in the interview because I feel like we're trying to prove something to somebody that's out there that is never going to change their mind. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've watched this a number of times, and 
You notice, guys, what he the, the way in which he uses language. This is a this is a guy who knows what he's saying. Uh, I'll say it that way. That's 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 being very charitable, by the way. He does know what he's saying. Whether he knows what he means is another whole other topic for another day. But he knows what he's saying, and he says that this deliverance that he's engaging in is the first means to get delivered. And I was just thinking as I'm listening to that again, it's interesting that he uses the word first. Why didn't he use the word only? And I have to think, and I was thinking here while I'm listening to that, why didn't he say that this is the only way to get delivered? Because if if Jesus came in, in Luke 4, his first sermon, pre, uh, opening the scroll, and to Isaiah 61, and the point of Isaiah 61, the point of Jesus' sermon in Luke 4, is that he came to set the captives free. Well, where's the only in that sentence? Hmm. It, it really leaves you asking some questions. Yeah, it, and, and oftentimes he'll, he'll say things, as I, as I watch this, I can't even remember how many times exactly um, I, I could go look probably, but it was it was repeatedly again and again and again where he would talk about something and then in the in this interview and then he would say, I don't have a scripture for that. But then he would say, I'm a scripture guy. And it's like, well, again, what do you what do you mean? Um, I don't know what you mean. Like and it, and it's just it's confusing because. It as we're gonna see, it's you. You're, you're at some point. You just have to realize it's it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Over here, you have one person talking, and then over here, on the other side, you have um, another person talking. This is why the Bible talks about being double-minded, um, you know, and it warns us about to not be double-minded. Um, so it's like if you can't say what you mean. And and even the you brought up the the whole he was asked about what he believes and I just note all throughout the the interview he says he's a five kingdom guy but then he he goes back and he says like you said he's a five sola guy um, and he's a sola scriptura guy but if you're a five if you're a sola scriptura guy we're going to talk about this in a, a future episode but if you're a, if you're a five solas and a sola scriptura guy and you want to be you know, scripture alone to the glory of God alone and all those things. It's not only just about the pra it's not only just about believing those things. It's about putting those things into practice. And I just have to say, um, it's pretty clear, pretty evident that, you know, where is it? Like there's no there's no clear definition used. Um, he says that he preaches repentance and faith but he doesn't use the word only because there's only one way to get saved only one way it's not the first means it's the only means the only means i mean you look at acts 4 12 john 14 6 um acts 16 31 romans 10 17 through um or excuse me romans 10 7 through 16 i mean so many texts and they all make it clear that there's only one way. The way is exclusive. The way is restricted only through repentance and faith in Christ alone. Yeah, those are good points. 
And uh, when I was listening to him say this, too, uh, I couldn't help but wonder. It seemed like he was deflecting from the question and almost making it that the people asking that question are the problem instead of actually saying, "Okay, well, what are your tactics for getting people delivered? But he wouldn't answer that question. It was just a deflection of, oh, well, you know, I think we're just trying to prove a point here to people that aren't going to agree. Well, again, what are your tactics <laughs> for casting out demons? That's, that has nothing to do with the question. You're the one. And this is what I tell. This is what I would say to people that are claiming this, for example. The burden of proof is on them. I, I'm not the one that, that is trying to argue uh, apart from Scripture. Um, the burden of proof, if you're going to say you cast out demons and they're say, well, it's consistency, that's his argument. Well, consistency. So he's pe- appealing to experience. He's not appealing to scripture and what scripture has to say on it. He's appealing to experience. Well, someone told me they had a demon. So therefore, they had to have had a demon because they had this manifestation. So it was true. Right. Uh, he's and he's appealing to that. And then um, he's not answering the question as far as what was presented. The other thing, too, when you mentioned about he says five solas and uh, sola scriptura, um, I have a hard time believing that he believes that. And the reason why is because of this book, for example, that he wrote. And on page three, um, he begins to talk about how um, he was um trying to figure out that if a demon could live in a body part, which that's one of the things he teaches in this book, that demons can live in body parts. And not only that, he believes that demons can dwell within DNA. So th- there's no freedom found in this. You're, you would always be looking for a demon hiding and lurking somewhere, even as a born again believer. I don't see how that can bring, bring freedom to you. Um, but he mentions about how he needed to look further into where else an unclean spirit might hide so that as a deliverance minister, I could be more targeted and specific in my prayers. I began seeking God for answers, and a couple months later, I had a dream. In it, I was approached by a well-known ministry leader who told me to open my hand. When I did this, person gave me a little book with the title, The Secrets to Deliverance, Shining in Gold Letters, and the minister then closed my hands, and I woke up. And he says, from that day up until now, my spirit has been receiving download after download of insight into the realm of the human soul and the demonic, which as a side note, I've looked at this before in a, in a podcast. And even that um, account is um, there's discrepancies in that account that he gives. He he tells in one interview, it was an angel and another one, he says it was a well-known minister. So that aside, He's claiming to get downloads from God. And he says in this book that the Holy Spirit gave him revelation. So my question is, you're saying that it's your sola scriptura, right? Then, and you're using the right language that a lot of us would agree with. And you're, you're denying language that would be Naranese is what I would call it, of having this, this NAR type language or NAR language. So if you believe in sola scriptura, why are you claiming that the Holy Spirit is giving you divine revelation outside of scripture? And are we not obligated to obey the contents of this book? If you're saying that the third person of the Trinity told you these things, because I don't know any time in scripture that God speaks and it's not authoritative. So those are the questions that I pose with that. And, and I, and I feel like he's deflecting in this question uh, when he's asked about this. 
Yeah, I mean, even at the end there, he says he's trying to, he feels like he's trying to prove something to someone who's never going to change their mind is how he says it. And it's just like, wait, like you're being interviewed. So about the book that you wrote, that you believe, um, that you wrote to obviously write authors, write books, writers, write articles to make a case. So you, you wrote this book, you did this interview to make a case and yet you're not going to acknowledge then that you're trying to change minds. I mean, come on, that's just not honest. And then, and then what's the point of preaching the gospel? Because not everybody's going to listen to the gospel. So you could have that same argument. And let me bring this up too, because we have a clip of this. He, about a month ago, I came across this clip where he admitted, he admitted on his own channel that, um, that deliverance ministers, he said, I got to give it to the cessationists and the reformed camp. He was like, we're not preaching Christ crucified. He said that he said, even in his older videos, which I've even I've looked at a lot of his videos. I've looked at a lot of the, the deliverance ministry videos. I don't know how much I've watched of those. But even today, I was watching one from a year ago at Vlad Savchuk's church. He was doing mass deliverance in Vlad's church, which I find that very ironic. He's doing mass deliverance in a demon slayer's church. They shouldn't be having problems. OK, you're preaching freedom through deliverance. There shouldn't be problems in your church with demons. And yet the whole altar was full of people that needed demons that are professing Christians cast out of them. He's doing um, he's doing mass deliverance in there. They were not told the gospel. OK, so and I can tell you with certainty, this book does not have the gospel presented in it. So I appreciate the fact I appreciate the fact that um, Mr. Pagani stated Christ crucified is of utmost importance. I appreciate that. And I want to I want to give him credit for saying that. I don't want to ignore that. Um, but you saying that and you practicing it are not the same things. And so we have to acknowledge that. And you can't just say, well, we don't do it, but we're still not going to do that. And then you continue to tell born again believers and that it always comes back to that. And I don't want to lose focus of that. Their ministry is targeting Christians, telling them they always need to have indwelling demons cast out of them. That is the foundation upon which these men and women rest. And so he admitted in this clip that not only do they not preach Christ crucified and Christ is implied, but then he went on to admit that at least half of the people coming for deliverance ministry are not even born again. Deliverance minister. We need more presentation of the efficacy of Christ's work on the cross and not deliverance for deliverance sake. What am I saying? Number three is this more presentation of the gospel. Deliverance ministers are not the savior. Deliverance ministry is not the savior. The deliverer is. We need more Christ in it. No, 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 no. Don't give me this. Well, it's obvious that you can't do deliverance without Christ. No, then talk about Christ. Talk about Christ. And guess what? I'm going to throw myself in there. I'm going to throw myself in there. Throughout the years, I look back on some of my older videos and I realized there wasn't a real thorough presentation of Jesus in my deliverance discourse and presentation. Even though at the core and the essence of it, Christ crucified is deliverance. The efficacy of the blood of Christ, Christ delivering people. 
I realized that I go, man, I should have emphasized that a little bit more. My heart was in the right place. I am aware that without Christ, deliverance is impossible. But we need more Christ. The reform camp, cessationalists, we gotta give it to them. Our deliverance videos, we're not talking about Christ. We're talking about mermaid spirit and fasting and prayer and rebuking this and binding and loosing that, amen. Where is Christ? Christ crucified, where is the preeminence of Christ? And when the preeminence of Christ is not at the nucleus of our message, we're clowns, we're, we're not taken serious, why? Because it sounds like we're redirecting the people to us. And let me emphatically say, Pagani is a nobody. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who could save anybody. I'm nothing. And may the day that I ever try to take Christ's glory, may God kill me and shut this ministry down and may I become a proverb within Christendom until Christ comes. This thing called deliverance is about Christ crucified. Not the benefits of the crucifixion. It's about the crucifixion. Christ is the deliverer and when we when we listen to our deliverance ministry videos and topics, I gotta be honest, as a general to this thing, I throw myself in there. We're not talking about Christ. Christ is implied. Christ is implied. Christ is in our motive. Baby, how are they gonna hear unless there's a preacher? Romans chapter 10. We need to present the centrality of the gospel. Why? Because half these people coming for deliverance are not born again. My God. Let me say it again. Half of these people in our videos are not born again. They're just needy people that need freedom and we're gonna help them. But have we ever considered, have these people coming for deliverance have they heard a clear presentation of the, of the gospel? John chapter 10, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. Yeah, he said a lot of truthful things there, didn't he? A lot of truthful things. Um, and uh, again, I appreciate him saying that. Um, but time will really tell if, if that is really going to, um, if that's going to hold water. Because... Uh, two things I noticed there was that, uh, first of all, he mentioned, uh, I firmly agree. I mean, that salvation is deliverance. And that's the thing when it's talked about, um, a sister in Christ and I were talking about this the other day, when people talk about uh, deliverance ministry, and they talk about maintain your deliverance and self-deliverance. And um, I think that it's lost on people that they are not realizing that salvation is deliverance, the salvation that Christ brings through the gospel. And when you use words like that of you need to maintain your deliverance, they don't realize that you could be essentially telling someone that you need to maintain your own salvation. And that's works-based. Um, so I think that, that that's one thing there. And I, again, I appreciate him saying that because Christ crucified is to be the central message. And I, like I said, I've listened to many of their messages online. I've listened to some of their services and at the end with altar calls that they do, the gospel is not presented in a clear way. Uh, if it is presented, 
there is a big focus on the demons, on manifestations, um, telling people not to pray in tongues. He's told people that not to pray in tongues because it puts a fire. It puts a, a wall of fire up in front of a door where the demon can't get out of the person. This is, this is not in scripture. And it, it's very, again, like you said, Dave, it's double-minded. You're saying one thing, but then you're saying something else out of the, the, the opposite side of your mouth. And it's not agreeing. Um, the other thing I think that is huge that he mentioned was half of these people, and I would say it's more than that, and I'm just speculating, at least ha- half of these people, he said, are not even born again. That destroys the foundation of their entire ministry to admit something like that. And he is saying he's a general in this. He is taking the front lines in this as an apostle and saying half of these people are not born again they're, and because they're not hearing the gospel. That's devastating to their argument when they're saying, well, deliverance is the children's bread. You know, it's for it's for born again believers. Apparently not, because you're you're doing this. to, And then you're saying that these people aren't even born again. So there's a lot of confusion in this camp and they have some big problems on their hands with with this teaching. I'll just leave it at that. And they need to be preaching Christ crucified because that the salvation that Christ brings, it is sufficient. And I'm thankful as a person who used to believe along this lines and believe that that professing Christians could have indwelling demons. I'm so thankful for God bringing correction through his word and by his spirit to understand what true freedom is in Christ. And that the, the, the spiritual warfare that we face as believers is not within us from the, from the demonic. It's from without. And we've been equipped through his word to know how to combat the enemy and to trust in Christ all throughout our walk with him along the way. Amen. Amen. Really good. Yeah. And if we just go back to the, the clip in the interview, it's uh, with Remnant Radio. It's 31, 37 to 33 minutes. I mean, he said very clearly that deliverance is the first means to get delivered. The first, not the only, but the first means to get delivered, meaning that there's a process. There's some sort of steps that you have to do to get saved. And then what we just heard is is that he's rebuking everybody in his camp. And again, it's just it's just devastating. Um, to people because I can I'll just say this as somebody who's been preaching since they were 16 I mean one of the things that people must have when you're preaching is they must have clarity you must actually say something and you must mean what you say if you can't say what you mean and you have to either walk it back or you on a continual basis all the time or people are fundamentally confused about what you mean, then you got to take a hard look at whether you are called and equipped to be a teacher in Christ's church. And this is why, this is why you know, uh, in a lot of denominations, they require people to go through a, a theology test, an examination. Do you know what you believe? Or they require you to have a a degree from a seminary before you preach so that you've had time to learn and then take the test, you know, and go through the process of testing to see what your character is and what your convictions are and how you live those things out. Um, There's a need for that. Um, I mean, irrespective of just the deliverance ministry, it's needed in 
It's needed in the church, period. Um, and that's why it's there. Um, and it's just it's just tragic because I mean, when I watched the interview, he talks even about repentance, but he never defines repentance. He doesn't even mm-hmm. say something like, you know, sorrow for sin and turning away from your sin and to Christ. You know, even like a very simple definition of repentance. It's not there. It's not there. You know, and and I and I and I want to be clear as well. You know, I agree with you, Don. You know, to be gracious and and thankful that he is saying those things and trying to bring a correction, but. At the same time, it's like you've already said so many of the same things again and again and again. So it's like, what do you actually believe? What do you believe? Nobody can tell what you believe because you're changing like all the time. It's one thing to be learning and growing and having your convictions being shaped. That's why you should sit down and learn. But we're talking about somebody who says they are a leader, a general in this movement. So he's teaching other people about these things. Um, and I think, to be frank with our audience here, I think that he should sit down um, and learn what the words mean. And then, after a period of time, maybe come back after he's learned what the words mean. And I think in the vast majority of this movement, what I've seen is just that. They don't know what the words mean. Words have meaning. They mean something. And they are defined or to be defined biblically and according to what the church has taught, not according to what we think about them, period. That's why they words have meaning. Um, and And so first, okay, again, I'm not trying to beat a dead camp. I'm not trying to beat a dead a, a dead horse here. But the but the point is, it's not first. It's only only way to get saved is through Christ. Period. And you don't got to be reformed to even believe that. You just got to be a Christian and believe the Bible. Period. Okay. So I just I just think it's tragic. I think it's um it's heartbreaking to me that he is a pastor and that he is leading people astray and and we're, this isn't a per, that's not a personal attack i'm i'm speaking from somebody who like i've said before i'm coming into this movement i wasn't in this movement i've been in the church the church my entire life and i'm coming in as somebody who's been in the church who's coming into this to these this movement to the nar and these things and you know what? i don't know I'll be the first to admit, I don't know every single thing about every single person and every single thing that they've said, because I haven't watched every single thing that they've said. But what I do know after over 30 years of, you know, reading church history and systematic theology and biblical theology and all of it is I know the Bible and I know church history and I know systematic theology. And this is a guy who doesn't know those things period he doesn't even have a a basic understanding of those things because he continues to be to state one thing and then it's like wait what do you mean i i don't know what you mean because you're you're not even like we can't even we can't even have like a conversation like you say one thing 
and I'm hearing another thing. And then, you know, you know how things go back and forth in a conversation. Everybody does. But you can't even you can't even have that because he's saying one thing out of his mouth and then he comes back and he says another. And you're like, I don't know what you even are talking about. Like nobody knows what you're, the lack of clarity is just so concerning. Um, and and you just get totally lost. Like I had Sarah, my wife, watch these and, and she said the same thing. There's a lack of clarity. This this person doesn't know what they're talking about. So and I'm not trying to be mean when I say that, like, but. At some point, you have to realize you need to learn what these mean, these things mean. And um, in a in a conversation with Doreen, I said a lot of these conversations wouldn't even happen if they took a class from somebody who knew how to study, uh, somebody that knew the art and science of biblical interpretation and knew how to handle the scriptures in context. A lot of these conversations that even you and I are having, they wouldn't even have to happen. So. Um, it's not only yeah. just, it's not only that he doesn't even know his theology, it's that he doesn't even know how to handle the Bible. Yeah. I, I want to say the, one real quick thing before I forget, um, b- before we move on to the next clip, but, uh, one of the things, and not to pick on the hosts of Remnant Radio, um, I was really disappointed in watching that interview because at the very beginning, they're giving him credit and they're saying, well, if I need a deliverance, if I need a demon cast out, I'm going to go, I'm going to call Pagani to do that. And I don't know if they read his book or if they just skimmed through it or what they did, but um, there's a lot of biblical references in his book that he's getting extra biblical revelation on, and they have nothing to do with deliverance ministry. But yeah, he's ascribing passages in the Old Testament, like in the book of Nehemiah and Ezekiel and the building of Solomon's temple. And he says every time that Jesus references his temple as the body, that that's talking about us and that we can have demons residing in us. And he's referencing the parable of the 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 seed that grows into a tree and the birds nesting in it. And he says that the birds represent demons and that this proves his point that demons can reside in, in uh, Christians. And he's getting all of this extra biblical revelation and he's bringing new meaning to those passages that no one would read the Bible and walk away thinking, oh, yeah, Solomon's temple had 93 rooms that that includes the three the three courts. So that means that demons could hide in them and the winding staircase. I, I think that might mean that demons could hide in my DNA, you know. No one would walk away reading the Bible concluding that. And so I'm I would really like to just put forth that challenge to to the guys at Remnant Radio is that you kind of gave him a pass, guys. Like, really, come on now. You you're gonna sit there and tell him and you're going to uh basically validate him being an apostle and then and saying that to him and then his book and endorsed it essentially and say, well, you know, it passes the test. Well, I, I read that book and there were other people that read that book. And if I compare it to my Bible, I am not going to walk away getting the same conclusion that he got in that book. And then again, I go back to it. If you're going to claim that the Holy Spirit gave you this, then I'm obligated to, to obey it yeah. because I am not obligated. I am not allowed to disobey God. So this is a very, is a very, (laughs) we get in a very dicey territory when you begin to say that, that God told you something because you are ascribing authority to that. So I'll I'll get off my soapbox, but uh, 
I just wanted to add to that. I, I agree with all that. And first John four one is so clear that we're to test the spirit to see it there from God. And uh, that that applies. Uh, Acts seventeen eleven. you know, be a Berean, test these things. And that they were hearing from Paul. So, you know, how much more should they hear from us today? Because Paul was an yeah. actual, you know, actual capital A apostle, author of 13 epistles in the New Testament. But to to the I just want to say while we're on the topic of of the hosts. Um, and again, this isn't to pick on the hosts, but it's right. like you're the hosts are if you watch this interview, just notice Pagani says the wildest things. We're not even highlighting all of them. And then, and then the, I wish we could maybe would have had a clip of this, but they, they, from my vantage point, you know, I'm theologically trained. I've been to seminary. I've been preaching, as I said, since 16, when, when you, when you hear Pagani and then you hear these guys, it's like, what in the, what in the world are you even talking about? Like, I'm just like, if, you know, as somebody who's done 400 of these interviews now, um, and counting, I'm thinking I'm going to need to interrupt this guy because I'm like, you just lost the audience. Like, um, but but they didn't do that. Um, you know, I can count on one hand how many times I've had to interrupt a guest and or let them finish um, and be like, you know, I think we need to end this and just call it a day. Um, I can count on one hand the, the times I've had to do that. But the, the thing is, is instead of doing something like that, they instead clarify his meaning, which I would argue when they clarified his meaning, I understand they're they're trying to you know help their audience, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, they do it in such a way as to give to make Alexander look better than he than he did. And um, again, I appreciate the 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 way in which they you know they're trying to be charitable, they're trying to be loving, they're trying to be helpful, they're trying to you know help a wide audience and everything. But it's not helpful when your guest is unclear and speaking double talk and confusing the audience to not call them, call the guests on the carpet for that in love and say, you know, when you said that, you're actually not. I don't know if you realize it, but you're not being clear there. Can you provide some clarity to those who might be confused? And because he even 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 the whole statement about which we talked about just a minute ago. That he that he feels that he's trying to prove something to someone who's not going to change their mind and they're not going to go be able to move past it. Well, you're not able to move past it, Alexander, because you're not being clear. You you're not being clear to the audience. And so the hosts are not able to move forward because you're not being clear about it. That's that was the issue. So I, I agree. I know the and next clip are. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say it drives me it, it, as somebody, like I said, who's done 400 of these. I've been interviewed many, many times now over the years. It drives me crazy. I, I don't have a problem with somebody saying, Dave, um, you're not, you know, can you restate that? Or you're, you know, here you weren't clear. Uh, or is this what you're saying? I don't have a problem with that. I, I appreciate that because sometimes in the in the moment, and and in thinking about things, I cannot be as clear as I need to be. Sure. So I appreciate the accountability. I appreciate the correction. I need it. I, I realize when I say something out of my mouth, I later I realize 
in talking to somebody about it, oh yeah, I could have been better on that. But that's that's the that's the opportunity for the next time so that I can be a bit clearer. Right. And this is this is always something I'm just gonna say it this way and then we can move on. But that's always something that uh, the humble servant of Christ is growing in because that's one of the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. We should be progressing in these things, and it should be, as Paul said to Timothy, people should be able to see your progress in these things as you're continuing to grow in your skill and handling of God's word. These things are these things are extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult um, to break them down so that the average person, those who don't know what's happening, they can understand it, they can see it, they can avoid it, they can mark it, they can avoid it. But also to speak to those who are in this movement, those who are following these things, so that they understand it as well. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of discussion with with people outside of these things. And I'm just saying I'm just saying that to say there's a lot that goes into a podcast interview beyond just doing the interview. And they had an opportunity to provide clarity. And instead, they re-clarified his meaning to something that I think I'll suggest, okay? I'll suggest that the meaning that the hosts gave to Alexander's statement was not had zero to do with what Alexander said and more to do with what they wanted people to hear. Yeah, I think those are good points. Very good. So the next clip that we're going to be looking at in this interview had to do with um, the question of troubleshooting in the deliverance ministry. And Pagani spoke on this a little bit. And what was very interesting, Dave mentioned about how he likes he made some interesting comments during this interview. This is one of them. Um, This is the test that he also gives to see if someone truly has a demon. Troubleshooting. I think troubleshooting whether the person even really has a demon might be a, a, a more upgraded tactic because half, more than half the people coming for uh, a deliverance session are really not dealing with demonic infestation as they claim that they are. So let me give you an example of a tactic that I kind of use, and I'm afraid to even say this because then it, you know, it is what it is. So when somebody tells me they're demon-possessed, that don't know me, uh, and there's people that come that don't necessarily know me. I ask them, what's my name? What's my, what's, uh, what's my legal name? You know, what's my legal name? Um, if the demon can't answer what's my name, then there's not a real demon because the demon will supernaturally know what's my legal name. All right. So people think that the name that I give out there is my name, but I have more to my legal name. So that's just kind of something that I learned to help me troubleshoot in a deliverance session to let me know whether this person is maybe dealing with something else or they're genuinely, they're genuinely demonized. What's my legal name? If the demon can say your name is X, Y, and Z, then I know for a fact that that's not a, that's not a demon because obviously the kingdom of darkness will know my legal name. You guys know my church name. You guys know the name that I put out there. You don't know my legal name. All right. So I begin to, and that's, that's a tactic that I would say real demonic possession has supernatural information and knowledge. You say that you have a real demon and you're demon possessed. What's my name? What's my name? Or questions that only a demon would know when they can't answer that. Put your name is Pagani. Bingo. I know you're not a demon. You're not a demon. You're someone that's following me off the internet. 
that's kind of like an example that I would say I learned uh, along the way just based on scripture saying that demons, real demonic possession, real demon entities have supernatural knowledge uh, that is not privy to the person that's coming to get to get set free. That's an example. Now, do I find a real scripture that says, asking a demon, what's my name? You know, I can hear people saying, oh, there they go again, boasting and self-glorification. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is a tactic. Holy Spirit said, this person says they're, de they're demon possessed. What's my legal name? Your name is Pagani. Then I know, or something else, then I know this is not a real demon. This is a person that's demonized or a person that's looking for attention. And then I go and I steer in a different direction. I don't, for me, getting it wrong is not a deal breaker. I go into pastor mode and I go, okay, they think it's demon possession. Now let me help them take them through some form of discipleship is Christ savior. And I kind of keep going. That's an example that I would use. But then again, I don't have a scripture to say. So, you know, that clip that we really just watched, that we just watched is, to, in my mind, uh, from my vantage point, it's very concerning because he says that, that he has a tactic and he admits um, at least twice, I think I counted, that he doesn't have a scripture, but that he's learned it. And the Holy Spirit, he says in there very clearly, he says the Holy Spirit taught him this. And then he says that he's a pastor. Right. Um, and so that that part really bothers me as a, a ministry leader myself, because the Holy Spirit doesn't teach us anything outside of Scripture. He, he works through, um, we would say, the means of grace through primary through his word. And so he's saying then that the Holy Spirit taught him outside of Scripture. And, and, and whether you're whether you are a charismatic or, you know, you're on the reform side. Uh, we should all at least believe that God has finally and fully spoken, that his word is sufficient, and that he works through the means of his word. That's not even what Alexander's saying, you know, this upgraded tactic. So the problem with that approach to ministry is that it, it really does harm not just to the people hearing it, but to the people that are under that ministry. And that's the concern that I have is, is when a, a a truly biblically qualified pastor who you know, and not every pastor has to go through seminary. I know I made much of that on the last on the last segment, but not every pastor has to go through seminary. Just want to be clear about that. They can go there's plenty of church programs where local churches are helping men, you know, be tested and examined and learn these things and the, I'm I'm 100% for that. Just wanted to be clear on that. But at the same time whether you have that view or not that Alexander has, as a Christian, we ground our convictions in the Bible. As somebody who preaches, we have to ground our teaching in the text of Scripture, and that is to that will then affect how we minister the Word to other people. What Alexander is saying is the opposite of this. He's saying, I'm a Scripture guy, which is one thing, so he believes the Scripture. Okay, great. No doubt about it. No question. I won't question them. But then where's the practice of it in our life? Because the word is to, we're to be grounded in the word, and that is to shape our lives, and it's to impact how we minister to other people, however we're ministering. And that's the issue here that I have with this. 
he's saying that that he's a scripture guy. He doesn't have a scripture for it. He admits it at the end of the clip, admits it in there. And then the but the Holy Spirit then gave him a tactic to use, an upgraded tactic to use that isn't in the Bible. So the question becomes, in my mind at least, how can you be a scripture guy and how can you be a pastor when a pastor in Second Timothy four two is commanded to preach the word? The word in Acts 20, the elders at Miletus, uh, under the direction of the Apostle Paul himself, were commanded to preach the word to the people, and yet, where's that? Um, and Paul told Timothy in um, 1 Timothy, I think it's 4, to watch your life and doctrine. Life and doctrine go together. They the one That you can't divorce one from the other. Um, so where's where's that? You know, where's the word impacting your ministry? Where's the word and you being faithful to the word and then the spirit carrying forth the word into the hearts of the people? Where's where's the trust in the in the work of the spirit? And where's your trust in being faithful to the word itself? Like instead it's it's about your tactic. Uh, what what separates the the just thinking out loud here for a minute. What separates that from the seeker sensitive guy and the entertainment guy who thinks that it's all about your lights and all those things versus this deliverance thing now that says, oh, I need to upgrade my tactic. What's, 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 the, what's the fundamental difference? Because the difference is that there is no difference. The tactic they're saying had to change because I'm not able to reach people. Those are his own words. That's the same kind of thing that the seeker sensitive movement tried to do. And that's that's where we have compromise after compromise after compromise, because that's that it shows that they didn't believe the Bible. Yeah, I mean, watching that, it it reminded me of the verse in the Book of Acts where the seven sons of Sceva are trying to cast out demons, and the demon says to them, well, Paul, "Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you?" And I don't know if he was alluding to that, but again, Paul was an actual apostle of Christ. Um, and uh, had that authority over demons in that capacity. So it reminded me of that. And then it almost seemed as if he was saying, well, you know, that's how I can tell if someone's truly demon possessed, if they know my full name, if they have supernatural knowledge. Well, demons are omniscient. So it almost seemed like he was coming across with that, that and he may not believe that. But I think someone could come away with that takeaway from that of going, well, demons know all, all these secret things, but they're not omniscient. They're created beings that have fallen. God is the only one who's omniscient. Um, and then lastly, I, they they argue from this standpoint and they'll take the Greek word daimonizomai. And they'll say, well, we just believe it, it's demonized because you, a, a Christian can't be possessed by a demon, but a Christian can possess a demon. And I just find that wordplay because that, that's not even in Scripture where it says that Christians can uh, possess a demon. When you see people in the Gospels that were demon possessed and that that Greek word is used for that and you look it up in Greek lexicons, that word means possessed. They are under the control of that demon. I don't understand. He's trying to make a distinction between this is how I know someone's demon possessed. And he obviously believes that Christians can't be demon possessed. But yet they have video after video after video after video of people that are professing Christians and they're acting demon possessed. So how does he know the difference? 
And that's the test that he uses is if they know his full legal name. That's how that's like his safeguard. And I, I just don't see that. Uh, what you said, it's not biblical. He admitted there's nothing in Scripture to verify that. And it almost seems like it really makes more of him uh, like, well, if the demons know my full name. Then, you know, there there must be something to that. Um, the whole thing is just problematic. The whole thing, there are so many different things you could look at in that that are problematic that really need to be scrutinized. Yep, I agree. All right. So the next clip we're going to look at, um, actually, before we do that clip real quick, right after he talked about that, I want to bring this up because this has to do again with his book, which he was talking about. About 35 minutes in, I'm sorry, about so about eight, 38 minutes in, 39 minutes in, he touched on this one part. And uh, we won't play the clip, but he talked about the four steps of deliverance because uh, Roundtree brought this up to him and said if he could go over the four steps of deliverance that are in his book, uh, alluding to um, and talking about Luke 11, that he didn't want someone to be in a position where they were seven times worse. Um, I believe that's also an account of Matthew 12, which they like to talk about a lot about the demon going out of a person, going into dry places. And when they can find no other place to go, they come back and they find the house swept empty and put in order, which, by the way, born again, believers are not empty. And then they bring seven demons in with them. And the state of that person is worse than it was to begin with. Um, but he talks about the four steps of deliverance. And he says for him, he's there, recognize, repudiate, remove and restore. So he's got alliteration going on there. But what's interesting is he uh, references this. This is in chapter eight of his book called Four Steps to Purge the Rooms. And the scripture that he uses for this uh, is Nehemiah chapter 13, verses seven through nine. And um, on page 119 of this book, he says, in the book of Nehemiah, we find a, a foreshadowing of demons hiding in the rooms and a four-step strategy to evict them, which that passage, again, if I were to read Nehemiah 13, I would not come away with this in my own uh, private time and not hearing his teaching, I would not come away with thinking, oh, there's deliverance in there. There's This is teaching about the four steps and that there's demons that hide in these rooms. And in, on page 122, he says, the revelation of what was going on here is so clear when he talks about Nehemiah 13. He says, demons have been prohibited from dwelling inside the human temple from the by the courtroom of heaven. The only loophole is if they are given permission to enter. This access is called a foothold, and this is why the Apostle Paul warns us not to give a place, a room, he has in parentheses, to the devil. And then he references Ephesians 4.27, which we've talked about before in another episode it does not mean a geographical location. And he says, once a person grants a demonic spirit access, it will enter as Tobiah did and begin removing the articles of the temple and replacing them with the accursed items. So he, this is a, the example I mentioned a little bit ago. He's taking scripture that this is not what this means, and he's putting a, a new twist on it and, and describing extra biblical revelation to it, which essentially would be authoritative. And I reject his his interpretation, and I reject his extra biblical revelation on this because that's not what that means at all. And it's really taking advantage of people, as we've talked about before, about biblical illiteracy. And this is why you all and I and all of us need to be in our Bibles. We need to be reading. We need to be studying, and we need to be opening our Bibles when anybody mentions Scripture. Because we need to understand what the word means in context so that we're not blown around 
by these doctrines that are coming through. And this is a doctrine. This is a wind of doctrine that's coming through. It's been coming through for decades, blowing people around, and it's not bringing true freedom. It is, it is perverting the gospel, and it is distorting the gospel, and it is distorting the Bible. Now he's distorting the Bible, and he's messing with the actual meaning of the scripture. And, and I take issue with that. It doesn't, whether it's him or anybody, I would take issue with that. And that's coming from someone who used to take God's word and twist it in this movement. I take issue with the things that I've said. I've critiqued my own old prophetic words, by the way, for anybody who would get upset with me and say, well, how dare you say something? You're being judgmental. I've judged myself on this and found myself and in the, the ways I used to walk in this movement, they were in error and they were sinful and they were false. And that made me a false prophet. And God granted me repentance from that and extended me mercy when I did not deserve it. So I'm not coming from a place of being hypercritical. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not, um, uh, ha- I don't have a religious spirit. I don't have anything like that. I am a contender for the word of God, as you are, Dave, and as others that are watching this that care. We care about what the word of God means because we don't want to dishonor God in misrepresenting his word and bringing reproach on the name of Christ. And so I, I just wanted to to touch on that. Uh, did you have anything to add to that? Oh, you know I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but first let me say that that was really beautifully said. Thank you. Um, you know, and that it kind of as you're talking, it 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 struck me. You know, as these guys talk, what you'll hear is people people suggesting on their side, of, like the Pagani side, and others. They, they suggest that we are heresy hunters. Right. And let's talk about that for a minute. Heresy has an actual meaning. It mean air to commit air means that you are have gone outside of the Bible. You've gone outside of what scripture teaches. To commit heresy means you've not only gone outside of what the Bible is saying is saying and teaching. It means because scripture has meaning. Um but heresy means that you've gone outside of what Scripture says and what Scripture means, and you've gone outside of what the church has taught. And we need to clarify something on this point, because at Nicaea and Chalcedon and the other early church councils, what they were doing is they were opening their Bibles, and they were saying, these guys are going against the Bible. And they said, no. They said, that is heresy. Because it denied the person and the work of Christ. That is heresy. We as Christians are commanded in Jude 3 and other places to contend, as you said, for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. 1 Peter 3.15 commands us to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. Um, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24 and 25, as we do that, we're to do correct opponents with gentleness. All that to say, there's so many commands, and there's even more that Christians are commanded about regarding their speech and their conduct. All yeah. those commands are rooted in the grace of God. We call those indicatives. Indicatives are those things that are grounded in the person and work of Christ, which fuels the imperative, the command to do, to obey. That's why Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me. Not love me and just love me and then obey me as if that was about a works-based salvation. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And there is a comma there. So, you know, there's a pause there for a reason. It's a separation of a thought. 
Because if you love Christ and you know Christ, you'll obey him. That's why Jesus even talks about this in John 15. You know, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Why? Because he's talking about how we've been united to Christ by faith in his name and how those who belong to him, they'll be pruned by him um, in their communion with Christ. And and anyways, I don't mean to take that too far off the off the rabbit trail other than to say accusing somebody of heresy actually has a meaning. And again, the meaning isn't what they're saying. We're not engaging in heresy hunting. We're engaging in and calling uh, people to be discerning and also doing um, what Ephesians 5.11 says and exposing the works of darkness and using somebody's own words, their own interpretation. This is, by the way, why we use clips, because it's not we're not making these things up. Right. We even we even very graciously, Don very graciously at the opening summarized the notes which we both took, we both compared, we both talked about uh, based on what they said. Now my notes were not very legible. Well, they were legible, but they weren't you know edited or anything like that. So they nobody else other than you will ever see them, thankfully. But you know, I just typed as I went. You know, but uh, the thing is, is the thing is, is that's a false charge. Like you said earlier, statements require proof. Claims, it's not on us to respond to the claim. It's on you making the claim to prove the claim, the very basis on which your ministry is founded. All we're doing is coming around and saying, hey, this is actually concerning. And it's concerning to a number of pastors as well that I hear from. And they're saying, this is it's not social justice. It's the deliverance ministry now that is the number one issue affecting their ministry, their ability to minister to people. And and they even will we'll play another clip uh, from Charisma towards that'll be the last clip that we'll talk about. But in that clip, even he'll he boasts about the come out in Jesus name movie and how well it's done and how successful it is as if it's just about numbers, not faithfulness to the Bible again faithfulness to the word faithfulness to trusting what god has said that is the that is what a pastor should do and then trusting the faithful pastor trusts the spirit to carry forth the word as jesus talked about in the parable of the soils to plant it in the good soil the results are out of our hands our job is to be faithful the spirit does the work amen Let's look at this next clip as we go on in this interview. We have two more clips to play from this interview. Um, But about 51 minutes in, um, he uh, actually shares this clip that he sent to Remnant Radio about him praying over a woman. I believe he said that she was uh, Roman Catholic um, and that she actually was, if I'm not mistaken, he did say that he uh, led uh, this lady in the sinner's prayer and lordship salvation. And uh, prayed with this lady on the stage. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that he said that this lady was actually possessed by a demon and that he had it on video. So we're going to take a look at that. Lordship of Christ, the demon started screaming. And then someone actually caught this. I wasn't videotaping this. Someone caught this on a cell phone. It's 40 minutes. And this is what happened. You could play it if you want on the screen. Oh, no. Lord, did he cast down 2,000 years ago? Oh. Out this body now. Jesus' name. Oh, we're not going to have you do a show here. Oh, the Holy Ghost have a show here. Not you, you unclean skirt. In the Amen. name of Jesus. 
Unilateral and Biscard all break new. Ouch! Amazon they got bounce and Jesus Christ was a fallen Jesus now in Jesus' name. Yes, How does he know that that woman was demon possessed? That this is a prime example of this looks no different than all the others that I I know personally. I've watched many of these videos um, and I've been in services when I was in this movement. I was in services in the in the not with Pagani, but I was in services physically in services where I saw people throwing up in buckets and claiming that another voice was coming out of them and while they're professing to be Christians and and writhing on the floor and screaming and yelling and all these things, um, that doesn't look any different than the professing born-again believer that's saying they have indwelling demons that need to be cast. I don't see the difference. And also, uh, conveniently, there was nothing in that clip that he showed his tactic that he uses to see if it's a real demon, which is tell me my legal name. What's my real name, which we already talked about. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's well said. All right. So the last clip that we're going to be looking at um, was a little over an hour into this interview near the end. Um, but he talks about um, that he has an issue with using the word demon possession when it comes to Christians and that Christians cannot be demon possessed. But then he seems to counteract what he just said and um, dispute what he says uh, by the statements that he makes in the following. And a Christian cannot be demon possessed. Any deliverance minister teaching that a Christian can be demon possessed is heretical. Run from it. That is false doctrine. We don't preach that. We don't teach that. We teach in demonization. And even with that, I'm having some issues with the wording to some degree because that kind of alludes to possession still. Um, I believe in a Christian having a demon in an unsubmitted area that's not uh, submitted to the Holy Spirit where they've lost control and they can't take control back and we help them take control back. So when I walked away, that's what happened. All right. Here's another one. I was helping someone who was, uh, a, you know, uh, part of the alphabet community, because I'm not sure if we could say those words now of what they identify as. Well, so uh, we're, we're also going to play before we respond to that one more clip. And this one is an interview with Charisma Magazine um, on this book, the, the Secrets of Deliverance. And in this one, he he further elaborates on what he said. And it's 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 kind of interesting because in the clip that we just played, he says Christians can't be demon possessed. And then he counters that again, saying essentially they can. And and in this clip, he waffles back and forth and essentially says something. And then, you know, that that Christians can't be possessed, as he says, you know, nobody teaches that. But then he says that he does. And he does the same thing in this in this clip. So before we go into that, let's talk about the origin of words and right. the confusion right. for some of the terms and labels that right. really we're using the wrong words a lot of times. And that's where right. the confusion comes. It's not the it's not the demon or if it's an if it's not a demon or if it is a demon, we're saying the wrong words. Help right. us out, Apostle. Well, first and foremost, I believe the battle that we're having concerning the ministry of deliverance is locked in a homonym. For those of you that are watching, a homonym means the word sounds the same, but doesn't mean the same thing. An example would be 
the word pool. The word pool is like a pool game, but at the same time, carpool. Or maybe you mean pool as in swimming. It's a homonym. I think what we're, what we're battling is uh, a war of etymology, I think, the, which is the origin of words. Let me emphatically say here, for like the millionth time, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Those of you that are watching me, say it with me. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Now, why am I saying that with a little bit of snarky sarcasm? It's because we have been saying this from day one. And for some reason, either your listeners or viewers or Christians, either they don't want to hear us saying that because they have an issue with the ministry of deliverance, or maybe they can't hear because Jesus said, quoting a prophecy of Isaiah, they have ears and cannot hear. Let me say it again. Myself, the demon slayers, and let me just say this, demon slayers, the term is not in the Bible. That is a nickname of terms of endearment that we call each other. It's not found in scripture, so don't get caught up with it. Where in the Bible is the term demon slayer? It is not. It's not. It's a term of endearment that we call each other, and it just caught on. That's all it is. It's a, it's a joke between us that ended up becoming something that God is using. All right, but it's it's not, we're not saying a Christian can be demon possessed. So when we say, when we say possess, we're not saying owned by. When we say possess, we, we mean as in having. An example is, let me give you an analogy. Every house has a spider. So let me ask you this question. Is your house spider possessed? Obviously not. But does your house possess a spider obviously did you, did you catch it all right so that's what we what we're saying is a christian is not possessed as an owned by um a demon no we're owned number one we're bought with a price number two we have the precious holy spirit of promise which is the earnest expectation of our blessed hope living on the inside we are sealed with the holy spirit of promise it's impossible for Christian to be owned by the devil. But can a Christian possess a devil? Not demon possession. Can a Christian possess a devil as in having a demon? Obviously, yes. Paul said, neither give place to the devil. So when a Christian violates Ephesians chapter 4, not letting the sun go down on your wrath... That word wrath does not mean a demon. It means anger, the, the works of the flesh. But when the work of the flesh is not contained and crucified through the work of the Holy Spirit within us, then a stronghold becomes a strong man. So it started off as the work of the flesh in wrath now could be a demon of wrath controlling the individual. And need not I say more of the various stories of pastors and ministers and leaders all over the country that have successful ministries yet are struggling with alcohol, struggling with anger, their marriages on the rocks. Obviously, a lot of it is the work of the flesh, failure of counseling, mental illness. We're not discounting that. But then there are moments where it is a demon. So are these men of women of God possessed by a demon? Absolutely not. But do these men and women of God possess a demon? Ephesians 4, 
Yes. So how do you remove it? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That is preventative protection. But what do you do when that has been not carried out and the person be, has a demon? Ministry of deliverance. You remove it. And don't even let me get started on generational curses. Shameless plug. September of 2023. The part two to this book, The Secrets to Generational Curses, will be released by Charisma House. So, so that's all we're saying. Um, so to answer your question, I, be, I believe I've given enough to yes. give people to chew on, to think about. Um, so, yeah, there are different there are different levels. But I authentically believe that we're just fighting about a homonym. Mm -hmm. And the war is the war of etymology, just the origin and the proper use of different words. What we're yeah. saying is demonized, uh, which means under the influence, not owned by. It yeah. just doesn't, it, you know, so yeah. That's really helpful, Apostle. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain about those words. And really, we're using the wrong terms anyway, because right. the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Come on. Um, so, I mean, when we're talking about- You're preaching. The, the New Testament was in Greek. So right. we're even using the wrong words in English. So right. our limited understanding is causing confusion. Right. And that is one of the things that really keeps people at an arm's length from this ministry that really brings freedom. You know, we we have talked about this matter of Christians being, you know, demon possessed. And the thing that strikes me in the interview, in the Remnant Radio interview, is there's not a clarity. Who are you intending to speak to? Is it the non-Christian? Is it the Christian? I mean, they don't really get clear. So I guess the assumption is, is, is they're aiming as they do towards, as we've seen many times towards, you know, the Christian and, you know, it's just, in this clip that you saw, he from Charisma, he even says the right things. He even says exactly what I've said on on in these conversations many times that it is an impossibility for a Christian that has been declared not guilty, that's been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and been sealed by the Spirit to have a demon or be possessed by a demon. That doesn't mean they can't be harassed or anything like that. We're talking about being possessed. And Paul says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that we have the Spirit. God took our heart of stone and he replaced it with a new heart. He put his Spirit in there. He made us a new creation. He made took what was dead and made us alive to God, as Paul says in Ephesians 2 and Second uh, Corinthians 5. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just sad. It just goes to show again. The, and I don't enjoy saying this. I really don't. But but you got to be honest at some point. There's a double mindedness. There's double speak. There's a lack of clarity. There's a lack of understanding what me things mean and a lack of their op application. You say you're a scripture guy, but you deny, you undermine the scriptures that you say you believe. You're a five solos guy, but you undermine that. We're going to talk about more about that in a future episode, which we're going to talk about biblical hermeneutics. But it's just it's it's just tragic. It's it hurts people. And that's that's why I'm speaking about this, because at the end of the day, the, the damaging consequences of this 
as people think, I got to go back to this guy. I got to go back to this again and again and again and again and again. Um, I can't just repent of my sins and confess them to the Lord, agreeing that, yes, there's sin, that I've broken God's law, that I've trespassed. I've, I've, I've violated what he has said about me and I'm in his presence, and I need, so I need to agree with God, acknowledge personal responsibility, confess that to the Lord, and turn from it to Christ, like 1 John 1, 9 says. Instead, he's doing the opposite of that, and it, it's just tragic. It hurts people absolutely. That's, what's, that was, that's what makes ongoing deliverance ministry or maintenance even so damaging to people um, is that there, there's you know, there's no these legal rights, as I've said, it makes that person the mediator between God and man, which Paul says that's not a possibility because Jesus is uh, that's in first John one. It, it makes it makes it the legal rights view also destroys our security in Christ. If you destroy our security in Christ, you destroy our assurance. You destroy the very basis by which we can persevere. If you destroy our perseverance, then you destroy the very way in which we're going to be glorified and totally like Christ. And if you do that, you might as well throw out the second coming of Christ, which Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4 as a motivation. He's longing for that day. So it just, it's tragic. And I'm not saying, to be clear here, that that's where that, what they're saying is what they're doing. I'm saying that this is where this goes. You know, one thing leads to another and then another and then another and then boom, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's it's tragic and it hurts people. And this is where this theology leads. Um, and it's just it's so sad and it's heartbreaking. And, and that's why we're talking about it and why we're going to keep talking about it, um, because theology really matters. It, it affects people's real life. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, where Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And when I've read Pagani's book and when I listened to his interview, um, his discussion with Remnant Radio, and then some of the things that he said pertaining to his book, um, he's he's gone beyond what's written uh, in in ascribing additional meanings that again you wouldn't take away from just reading the Bible, and he's adding more extra biblical revelation and saying, well, you know the even the the uh, tactics of the old deliverance ministers in the seventies is just not good enough anymore. We have to revamp this, and I don't, I really just don't understand why essentially. Even though I appreciate him mentioning the gospel and saying Christ crucified, there seems to be in the deliverance ministry, there is a lack of understanding of the sufficiency of the gospel, as we've talked about before, the sufficiency of Christ, um, the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I would argue, um, this is going to hit a sore spot on people, but I would argue that this camp actually makes little of the Holy Spirit. Um I, I believe that when you want to contend for the faith of the word and you want to contend for what the Bible actually says about God and that you believe that his Holy Spirit is sufficient enough to keep demons out of you after you are the, at the moment of salvation and being justified and that he helps you to be sanctified 
and that the battle from is from without with demons, not from within. And scripture supports that uh, more than it. It does not support a believer having indwelling demons. Um, I, I find that little is made of the Holy Spirit in this movement and um, and people that try to contend for the faith um, and saying, no, the word of God is sufficient and the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to keep you. Jesus prayed in John 17. You know, if we want to go and look at other passages, Jesus prayed the, the what was called the high priestly prayer in John 17. He prayed to the Father that, that believers would be kept from the evil one. Jesus didn't pray something in vain. So I'm going to believe what Scripture says over and over again, and I'm going to have hope in what the Word says that's testifying of Jesus Christ and testifying of the truth of His Word and finding hope and joy in that and peace in that of knowing I don't have to worry about a demon indwelling me and I don't need to go for deliverance ministry and I, because I have a high view of Scripture and I have a high view of the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. I have a high view of God. I have a high view of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I will stand on that um, regardless of experience or anything else that I could attest to. It all comes down to the final authority for a Christian, which is scripture. And so I, I would push back on that and say, for what they believe, I don't believe they have a high view of the Holy Spirit when they're saying the things that they're saying, they're diminishing the power of God in what they're saying, and they're not being consistent. And I'll I'll end with this this last point. This will be the last point I make. One thing, and I hope I can convey it really well and not and not be confusing. I, one thing I've thought about is that um, in this movement, whether you're talking about signs and wonders or casting out demons, one of the things that's focused on is well, we're going to do the greater works. According to, to John 14, 12, we're called to do greater works than Jesus did. So, and we're called to do the things he did. I've talked to many people saying, we're supposed to cast out demons. We're supposed to do these things. And it's, you know, I can't help that you don't believe in the power of God. That's what's said to me sometimes about this. Even though I was in this movement and I and and I traveled overseas to Africa and things, and I and I claimed to cast demons. And who knows if that even really happened or not as far as what actually happened to that person. Um, but at any rate, um, I've heard these claims when, when I argue this point now. And the reason why I would argue this point is because it seems really inconsistent to say we are called to do greater works and we're called to cast out demons. That we're called to heal the sick because we're supposed to do greater things than Jesus did. But yet, Jesus, because he was God, and we know that, but I'm trying to follow out their logic to, to their logical conclusion, which is inconsistent. You say that we're supposed to be like Jesus, and you say that we're supposed to do greater works, and you say that we're supposed to cast out demons, but yet you believe that the body of Christ has indwelling demons in it that has been washed and regenerated by the word of God and has been renewed by the Holy Spirit. You believe that the body of Christ has demons in it. But yet you want to say that we're supposed to be like Christ and that we are to cast out demons and to heal. You're not being consistent. That is inconsistent belief. Um, so I'm asking for consistent, at least for my part, I'm asking for consistency. And 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 I know that that's where we want to rest. And, and granted, I know that I'm 
by any means, I understand that there, I'm still a work in progress being sanctified and still learning and growing in the word of God. I know I don't have all the answers, but I'm presenting this as someone who was in it and giving someone to think things through and, and to, to draw it out to its logical conclusion. The argument doesn't, it doesn't draw out to the logical conclusion. It is double-minded. So that's what I would offer. I hope that that was clear in how I presented that. That's very clear and very helpful and very important because, you know, again, we can just go back. The Bible has a meaning. The meaning that Jesus is the most extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit is found in the Upper Room Discourse in John 15 and 16. Uh, You can look at men like John Calvin, who is known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit, and John Owen was the prince of theologians of the Puritans, and he wrote a massive tome on the Holy Spirit in his collected works, you know, so there you go. And those are just some examples, I mean, that one could have from other people who are solid, respected teachers in the church. And by the way, in Ephesians 4.15, it says God gave us teachers. And what are teachers to do? Second Timothy 2.15 says they're supposed to rightly handle the word of God. And we're going to talk about that, you know, next time here that where we talk about biblical hermeneutics, because, you know, we I have said this and I'm sure people may be tired of me saying that, saying what I'm going to say. But what you do with the Bible, it reveals what you think about the Bible, what you believe about the Bible. And there's been no better display that today. You can say all the nice things in the world, even even the nice sounding words. But uh, remember Jesus before in the desert with Satan says, it is written. You know, Satan maybe got some of it right, but then Jesus says it is written. And then he quotes the actual verse. He says it is written. Here's the Jesus, fully God, fully man, the son of God, the son of man, saying this is what the old time. And by the way, <laughs> that in and of itself, what Jesus did was... Uh, demonstrating the authority of scripture there's the son of god the son of man uh, validating the authority in this case of the old testament um and so it matters what we believe because it's going to affect what we do and what we believe and then how we live and how we see the world and so i hope that this episode has been really helpful for you again we do this in love we do this to correct opponents with gentleness, we do this to equip the saints. We do this to help you um, to understand how dangerous this really is. And so um, until next time, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, and follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, or X. We appreciate your support.